Praise God. If you'll turn your Bibles with me, we're going to be back in Romans, but I want you to go over to Matt, or I'm sorry, John chapter 18, and I want us to look at a conversation that takes place. Very important to our message today, and a message that has been on my heart recently, and uh, it's... Uh, I enjoy preaching series. I really do. I, I hope you enjoy listening to them as much as I enjoy preaching them. But I do have to say, I'm still preaching a series in uh, Jude on Wednesday nights and, of course, the Psalms on Sunday nights. But I finished up the series in Hebrews chapter 11. It's a little bit liberating to be out of a series on Sunday morning, to have a bit more flexibility to preach on a particular subject and whatnot. Again, I, I like them both, but uh, this message has been on my heart for quite a while, and um, I hope it'll be a help today. I hope it'll be a strengthening, maybe a, a bit of a convicting. Um, but one of Jesus' last personal interactions during His earthly life as He was at the end on the road to Calvary, was with a historical figure named Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate is a real person. He was the Roman governor of Judea at the time of Christ. And a conversation takes place in verses 36 through 38, if you'll look at them with me there, of John chapter 18, uh, he's standing before Pilate, and really it goes back to verse 33, if you want to go back there and look, it says, and Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus and said unto him, art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of me? And in essence, he does not answer Pilate's question. He said, where'd you hear that? And then Pilate says, am I a Jew? A little bit put off by his evasiveness. Thine own nation and thy chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? And then Jesus discusses his kingdom and his servants, and this moment in time when he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. You know, we sung onward Christian soldiers this morning, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. No one ever won a carnal war by getting down on their knees and praying for their enemies. That's just not what happens in a carnal war, but in a spiritual war. Amen. Then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. What a phenomenal statement that is. He, listen, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is getting ready 
to be scourged, to be crucified for the sins of all mankind, including yours and mine. And he says this, this is why I came. What a God. What a salvation we have. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world. Now follow along. That I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And then Pilate asks the question for the philosophy class at the major universities. What does he say? He says, what is truth? Now, was his question sincere? Maybe. Maybe he was really asking, Miss Marilyn, what, what's truth? What's, what's this truth you're talking about? Remember that time in Greek and Roman times was a time of great philosophers. People that would talk about truth and discuss truth and open air. Maybe it was sincere. Maybe it was sarcastic. Well, what's truth? I mean, you know, you talk about truth. Maybe it was substantive that he really wanted to know what is truth. What's true out there? We're left to speculate. However, what is not up for debate is Pilate's impression and declaration at the end of verse number 38. It says, if you look there, it says, And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and saith unto him, I find in him no fault at all. But let's consider Pilate's question today by way of introduction. What is truth? What is truth? Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines truth as conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is or has been or shall be. Secondly, it defines it as the true state of facts or things. Three, conformity of words to thoughts. Four, veracity, purity from falsehood. I think that's a, a, excellent definitions of truth. But could we maybe take it in the opposite direction? What's, what's the opposition of truth? The opposition of truth is a lie. Correct? What is a lie? Again, from Webster's. A falsehood uttered for the purpose of deception, an intentional violation of truth. You know, ladies and gentlemen, truth and lies are always in opposition one to another. Always. We think about it in America when a 
witness appears in a courtroom to testify, they are asked the question with their hand on the Bible and the other hand up. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? The implication there is that the expectation is that a person will not lie or speak falsely. Consider something in our country as we think about Memorial Day. In 2013, President Barack Obama signed the Stolen Valor Act of 2013. The Stolen Valor Act came to be because a man named Xavier Alvarez in 2007 at a uh, board water district meeting of Three Valley in Claremont, California claimed that he in 1987 had been awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions and yet he had never been awarded the Medal of Honor. And veterans groups and politicians said, it is wrong to lie that you are a Medal of Honor winner. It is, it's false. It's fa-. And th- by the way, thankfully, somebody just did a little bit of research and said, nobody was awarded a Medal of Honor in 1987. The expectation is truth. This was a lie. You know, the Scriptures tell us that God the Father, Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is a God of truth. Jesus Himself said that He was the way, the truth, and the life. John 1 and 14 tells us, uh, you remember that great verse where the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was full of grace and truth. God the Spirit is called the Spirit of truth in John 14 and 17. That book you hold in your lap today, The Bible says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Today you are gathered together in this place. We call this the church house. The church, the body of Christ, that group of called out believers is called the pillar and ground of the truth. In 1 Timothy 3 and 15. Whereas, if you're in John there, go back to John chapter 8 and let's look at something here. John chapter 8. God is the God of truth. God the Son is the the God of truth. God the Spirit is the God of truth. God's Word is truth. God's church is truth the pillar and the ground of the truth. Whereas we learn here in verse number 44 of John chapter 8, uh, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees says, Ye are of your father the devil. 
Wow, there's a warm sermon. <laughs> Amen. The heir of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the what? Why? Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. What do we learn here? We learn that Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. There is no truth in him. Listen to me. He is at the root of every lie that is told. He's the father of it. He's the one that gave birth to it. He never stops assaulting and attacking truth. He uses doubt, doesn't he? Go, listen, let, let's, let's take our time. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Many of you know this passage of Scripture, but for me, I just like us to go to the verse and look at it with our own eyes. I believe the Spirit of God uses the preaching of the Word of God, but He uses especially the Word of God. And here we have Satan in the form of a serpent. By the way, we learned that in Revelation 12, 9. It calls Satan that old serpent. This, that's who this is here. Satan, the father of lies... It says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What is the punctuation mark that is there, ladies and gentlemen? It's a question mark. Can I give you the biblical answer to Satan's question? If you go over to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says there, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. What is the answer to God's question? Did he say, or to Satan's question rather, he said, did you say, yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? No! He said there was one tree we couldn't eat of. Amen. Matter of fact, he said, of all the other trees thou mayest freely eat. Somebody has well said that Satan always puts a question mark where God puts a period. And I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. The period is truth. The question mark is the lie. So he uses doubt. What else does he do with truth? He demeans it. He does that in this passage right here. He dismisses it. You know what he says there in verse number 4? He, he, he gives the first lie recorded in Scripture. He said, ye shall not surely die. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to die. He's a liar. He's a liar. So he, he uses doubt. He dismisses it. He derides truth. Hey, one of the things he does is he deludes truth. 
I remember when I first got saved, and it's only gotten worse. But I remember, Mrs. Lawley, that I, I went into a Walden Books. Anybody remember Walden Books? Amen. I went into a, I'd just gotten saved. And, and listen, I didn't know which Bible to get. I didn't. Uh, we, we use the old King James Bible around here by conviction, amen, and, there, and there's reasons why. But I didn't know anything about that. And I remember going to Walden Books and looking, and there were about 40 Bible translations. I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. And this, again, I, I know some people may fuss with me, but if they all have different words in them, they all can't be right. Because things that are different are not the same. And I remember thinking not long after that, boy, Satan certainly deludes truth. He just dilutes it, just a little. Didn't he do that with Jesus when, when Jesus quoted the Scriptures to him and then Satan came back and quoted the Scripture to him? He dismisses truth. He dilutes truth. He derides truth. He demeans those who hold to truth. Doubts truth. You know what? And his ultimate goal, and praise God, it's not going to happen. His ultimate goal is to destroy truth. Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, if the foundation of this building, I was just thinking, we were, my wife and I were down in Pontiac for a funeral, and, and uh, we, we were there for, uh, we lived in Bloomfield Hills, just over the Pontiac border for four years, and uh, when we were in Bible college there, had a little house, and I remember that house, it had, Mr. Al it had a tree that was on the side, probably about seven, eight feet and that tree, it, it grew up and sideways. So, you know, if you see trees that are like this, that grow up, this one had one of those, except it grew sideways. And Brother Hutchins, that went right into the foundation of the house. I'll never forget that. When every time it would rain, we would have a serious water problem in the, in the house. Thinking about... If the found, and I remember they, 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 they removed that part of the tree, but the foundation was still bowed and really had a hard time selling the property. You and I know if a foundation is destroyed, the house will eventually fall. We learned that in the, the parable of the two builders. If you build your foundation on a rock, it'll stand. If you build it on the sand, it'll fall. You know, Satan's always trying to get at the foundation. And he attacks God's foundation of truth. In our text, again, back there in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, the book of Romans is just a, a, a theological masterpiece. It, it is, it's obviously written by the Holy Spirit, but he used the Apostle Paul and, of course, his, his experiences. If you know anything about uh, the book of Romans, it really boils down to this. Chapter 1, the Gentiles, or non-Jews, are guilty before God. Chapter 2, the Jews are guilty before God. And chapter 3, everybody is guilty before God. And you, and you see those great verses again. Uh, sometimes us uh, that try to win souls, we know those verses. Uh, and there's none righteous, no, not one. 
All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. Those are in Romans uh, chapter number 3. But Paul is making the argument here. And he, he talks about the Jew and he said, what, what, what profit does circumcision have? And he said, oh, there's great profit. They're, they're, the, they're the chosen people of God. They were given the word of God and yet they still fell short. And then he makes that great statement in verse 4. He said in verse 3, he talks about, If some believe not, shall their unbelief make the faith of God of none effect? God forbid, yea, let God be true, and every man a liar. They said, he's really saying, if every man on earth was a liar, God would still be true. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to notice this morning, and, and I'll, I have seven points, but just by way of introduction, the importance of truth. Just societally, ladies and gentlemen, we depend on truth. We don't realize how much we depend on truth. We depend on being truthful one to another. Truth is so important. I think about not only the importance of truth, I think about the inflexibility of truth. And this is really the day that we're living in. Ladies and gentlemen, two plus two is four. Why? Because that's truth. You take two, you take two more, you put them together and you count them. One, two, three, four. Herman Goering during the Second World War, said if the Fuhrer says 2 plus 2 equals 5, then it is. Huh. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we have an entire society that is saying 2 plus 2 equals 5. In all kinds of different areas that we're going to reference in our message today. But you listen to me. True is, truth is truth. We, we talked about in Sunday school, uh, the, the old bumper sticker used to be say, it used to say, uh, 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 God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You know, you could take the I believe it right out of there. God said it, that settles it. Listen, if I don't believe in gravity, it doesn't matter one bit. Now, I don't recommend trying that from a nine-story building if you... Maybe have a problem with truth. Truth is truth. Historical truth. Listen, December 7th, 1941 was the day the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. That's truth. Geographical truth. I've never seen China, but it's still there. With about a billion people in it last time I checked. Listen, that's geographical truth. Mathematical truth, amen. By the way, that 2 plus 2 equals 5 crowd, try that at your bank. I wish, Miss Marilyn, amen. I could give a lot more to church if with that kind of math, amen. No, truth is truth. There's a whole society saying, well, you have your truth and we have our truth. That's a, that's a modern statement. Well, you have your truth. no. <laughs> Truth is truth. 
So there's the importance of truth. There's the inflexibility of truth. Then there's the impugning of truth. You've got to look at what the Bible says at the children of the wicked one. Brother Jeff, one of those signs of the end times, it says they're destitute of truth. They hold the truth in unrighteousness in Romans chapter 1. Remember why that society in Romans chapter 1 got the way it was, that those Gentiles? It said this, because when they knew God, the truth, the true God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their mind. God said, okay, you're going to reject truth? You can have your lies. I want to give you seven seven truths today, I guess we could say, where we want to say, let God be true. I don't care what man says about it. Forgive me, I don't even care what you think about it. Let God be true. Let God be true. If all of us were liars, let God be true. Number one, the truth about truth. Say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Jeremiah 10.10 says this, But the Lord is the true God. The Lord is the true God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says it this way, But as God is true, our word toward you is. Psalm 119.160 says that His truth endureth to all generations. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. The truth about truth is this. God is the author of truth and this is His dissertation. This book is true. I don't care what the world says. I don't care if they have Satanist meetings and they rip this up. It doesn't matter. It's still true. God give us Christians who truly believe this book. This book is true. Why? Because it tells us of the true God. He is the author of truth. You cannot have truth without the God of truth. Truth about truth. Secondly, the truth about the universe. We look around and we we see this and it is simple as simple gets. It's as complex as could possibly be. But the answer is simple. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 2-7 we learn that God created man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews 11.3, we looked at so many times over our series. We, we, by faith, we understand that the heavens were created by the Word of God. What's the truth about the universe, Pastor? God created it all. God made it, the Bible says, by the Word of His 
power. You listen to me. Macroevolution is a lie birthed out of the pit of hell. Let's say macroevolution. What's that? That means a rock became a person. That's just, forgive me. That is beyond stupid. That is Romans 1.22 stupid. You know what that says? Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. Listen, microevolution, absolutely. That's adaptation within species, absolutely. It's the difference between a Rottweiler and a Chihuahua. Hallelujah. Give me the Rottweiler any day, amen? You can have your little Chihuahua. But they're both still dogs. Neither one came to be from a fern. The truth about everything we see is that God created it all. It didn't just come to be. By the way, it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. When you believe nothing produced everything, you got a problem. Oh, hey, I confess, Uncle Joe, it's faith. I say, hey, God, I believe God created it. But that atheist has a lot more faith than I do. Because nothing from nothing never made nothing. Forgive my terrible grammar on that, amen. The truth about truth, God's a God of truth. The truth about the universe, God's the creator. Well, this one's going to probably go off the rails. The truth about your identity. And God created them male and female. That's it. That's it. Listen, are there, are there anomalies? Yes, we live in a fallen world. Are there people that are born with different things? Absolutely. But they are not the norm. The exception. By the way, I want to just say this. I don't envy anyone who struggles with what is, used to be called gender dysphoria. By the way, it's still what it is. Mental disorder. It's a problem. It's a disconnect. But I'm here to tell you that all the silicone and all the hormones will not make you something that God did not make you. All the surgery. And the, sad, the saddest thing of all is this generation that's coming up of, forgive me, of parents that are enabling this stuff and then 15 years down the road all this is irreversible. And we are going to have an entire generation of people completely dissatisfied with the decisions, the permanent decisions that people have made. Listen to me. Your identity, the truth about your identity is God made you male or female. Romans 9.20 says, Who art thou that contend against God? That means, listen to me, your war is with God. Again, I'm not... I hope you understand my heart on this. Is there, there are, I, I've had people say, literally Christians say to me, well, why don't, you just, why don't you just be nicer about this issue? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, again, I, I think you ought to be nice. You can be kind. Uh, you can be, but you cannot seed the ground of truth. The truth is that God made them male and female. The moment that you do that, you are giving into a lie. Yeah. 
I will not do it. Other people want to for kindness. I will not for kindness sake give in to a lie. Will not do that. I can still be kind, but I can still be unmovable in truth. Not my opinion, in truth. God made them male and female. The truth about truth. The truth about the universe. The truth about your identity. How about the truth about morality? The truth about morality. Can I say the truth about morality is God is the author of morality. So Brother Hauser, when he said, thou shalt not kill, that means that people who will stick a scalpel into a baby's skull in the womb are killers. That's what it means. God is the... I listen, again, I remember, remember Exodus chapter 1. Pharaoh said, hey, if that Hebrew wife has a baby, if it's a boy, you throw it in the river. And the, the, Brother Brandon, the Bible says, but those midwives feared God. Because they knew God was the author of morality. And they came up with a lie to appease Pharaoh, but the main thing was they didn't chuck those babies into the river. Why? Because they knew that would be killing Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. We live in a day where, and by the way, many of us said this 20 years ago, once you do away with marriage, all bets are off. But here's what God said. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And by the way, he, Jesus cleared that up in Matthew chapter 19. He said to the Pharisees, they were asking about divorce, he said, have you not read that he that made them at the beginning made them male and female? Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Male, female, husband, wife. That's God's morality. Say, well, who is he? He's the author of morality. And one day those that have disregarded his morality will have to deal with him. Or I should say, Uncle Joe, he'll deal with them. The truth about morality is God is the author of morality. The truth about your identity is God made them male and female. The truth about the universe is God created the universe. The truth about truth is a God of truth. How about the truth about eternity? Again, we mentioned Genesis 2-7, that man became a living soul, an eternal soul that day. We preached last week on hell. I'll not rehash that doctrine, but it simply says this in Matthew 25-46, the righteous shall enter into life eternal and the wicked into everlasting punishment. Remember the rich man said, Son, remember in thy lifetime... And he said, but now Lazarus is comforted in heaven and thou art tormented in hell. Listen to me, here's the truth about eternity. There's a heaven, and there's a hell. Brother Swaffer, that's it. That's it. There's one place called heaven and one place called hell, and you're going to spend eternity in one of those places. That's it. You say, oh, that's narrow. 
Truth is always narrow. It's inflexible. Truth about eternity. We are a soul and we'll spend eternity somewhere. How about the truth about judgment? Truth about judgment. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment. Everyone under the sound of my voice and the one speaking the voice is going to stand before Almighty God. And I don't think we'll stand for long. The Bible does say every knee shall bow. But I think many of us will fall on our faces in shame. But there will be those who won't fall on their face in shame. They'll raise their fists, and yet God will still judge them righteously. Every one of us is going to stand before God. Some, Lord willing, if you're a believer here, you'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus has already been judged in your place You'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for your works, for your motives, but not for your sins. Glory to God. But if you're here without Christ, you will give account for every sin you have ever committed, every thought, every deed. You say, oh, that's just a fancy religious talk. It is truth from God's Word. And you, you better come to grips with truth. Lastly, this morning, I'll give you some applications. Truth about truth, God is the author of truth. The truth about the universe, God is the creator of the universe. Truth about your identity, God made you male and female. The truth about morality, God's the author of morality. Truth about eternity, you'll spend eternity somewhere. Truth about judgment, God's the judge. And then the truth about salvation. You know, the Bible says God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We were dead in trespasses and sin, but God for His great love wherewith He loved us. Romans 5, 8, God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Provision has been made for salvation for anybody who wants it. But there is only one way to heaven. Think about all the lies that are told about that subject. Well, you know, I mean, you need to be a good person. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's what you got to do. You got you to be, be a good person. You got to, you know, not hurt anybody and all that. And again, I'm, I'm all for that. But if you think that's going to get you to heaven, you bought a lie. You're devoid of truth. There is only Well, I, I remember watching an interview between Larry King and Jerry Falwell. Whenever people think about Dr. Falwell, there was a time where he was right down the line fundamental. Didn't end that way, I understand, but you know, still saw more people saved than the vast majority of other folks. And Larry King said, he said, you mean to tell me if I don't accept Jesus that I will go to hell? And Jerry Falwell very kindly and said, I mean to tell you that Jesus wants you to accept him so you can go to heaven. 
There's only one way because there's only one who has ever paid for all the sins of all mankind. There's only one who's the Son of God. There's only one who was raised from the dead for our justification. There's only one way. That's the truth. That the truth about salvation is if you will trust Christ, He will save you. Thank God for that. Ladies and gentlemen, truth and lies are always at odds. Always at odds. Let me give you just a few applications. What are we, what are we to do in regards to truth? First of all, this, this one's for me, Brother Hauser. My responsibility is to preach truth. That's my responsibility. I have to do that. A preacher who will not preach truth, forgive me, needs to be fired. He needs to go out and get an honest job. And I don't mean that this isn't an honest job. I mean, if you don't preach truth, you're not being honest. And you definitely shouldn't be in a pulpit. Preach truth. Secondly, for all of us, and this has to do with, of course, the preacher as well, we are to receive truth. To receive it. To say, listen, if it comes from this book, I'm going to receive it. Sometimes we don't receive truth because of the person delivering the truth. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, where one said, well, I, I like Paul's preaching. And I, I'm more of an Apollos guy. I kind of like Cephas or Peter. Hey, as long as they're delivering the truth, it's up to us to receive it. I remember one of the greatest things about Midwestern Baptist College for me, Pastor Alex, was chapel. When I was in Midwestern, it was 19, uh, 1997. First graduating class was 1957, and we had 40 years worth of graduates that would come preach chapel. And it was wonderful. All kinds of different styles. Some guys were, were whirlwinds. Other guys barely spoke above a whisper. But they were delivering truth. It's up to us to receive truth. It's up to your preacher to preach truth. You know what else? After we receive truth, it's up to us to believe truth. Not enough to just receive it, to really, truly believe it. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, something else we're to do, we're to rejoice in the truth. That's charity. Charity rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. To rejoice, to, to, to take joy in the fact that, listen, this is what God said. Can I give you one more? Here's really what we need to do. Two more. We need to live the truth. In this day and age, ladies and gentlemen, I don't care if we have to do it alone, but we don't have to do it alone. There's always 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. We need to stand for the truth. Lies are infiltrating churches and destroying them from within. When I think of our country, I, I think of the 60-year-old congressional record document from uh, Herlong, the, the congressman from Florida, that had to do with the 45 communist goals for America, 1963, 60 years ago. And I think of the bulk of those have been put into place and are rotting America from within. 
and they're doing it by lies. Listen, the whole world, let every man be a liar, but God's still true, and let's have a church that says God's still true, and let's have a bunch of Christians that says God is still true. Let God be true. Father, thank you.